Praise God. Let me pray. Father, I am humbled here this morning. And once again, I recognize through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people what they need here today. I thank you for your presence here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in our midst. And uh, we just thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you in the next few weeks of a subject that I have talked about through my 30 years in ministry, 30 plus years in ministry, uh, but never really like in a sequence of messages. And for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know why. And I want to just take a little moment here and just step back a little bit. So some of you may be new to the church and kind of want to, okay, who is this crazy Italian guy? And, uh, you know, how many know that when you grow up in a community, everybody knows you and then they know your name or it should be? How many know what I'm talking about? So like in the Italian community, uh, when you grow up in that, you're always with uncles and aunts and everyone knows you and you know all the quirky things. Come on, am I speaking to anybody? But if someone from another culture comes in, they're kind of the stranger. <laughs> Well, I kind of felt like that for, for actually many years coming out here, kind of like a, a fish out of water, you know, and it's like, you kind of know, what, do we accept him or not? And, and still, some people today still are kind of asking that question after 30 years. But uh, we're still here, and, uh, but just a little bit about, you know, my wife and I, and, but I want to talk to you about what I, this, this was what's stirring with me, about the, the greatest Christmas gift, when I think about gifts giving and we laugh about uh, videos and things like that. But, but uh, the greatest Christmas gift uh, that was given is this gift of love. And I want to talk about that. The gift of love. And uh, what is love? And we'll go as far here as we can in these next few moments. Uh, but uh, here's, I want to show you this little clipping here. So I'm trying to move this forward so someone maybe help me out with that. Thank you. <clears throat> What is love? And so, so here is a picture of your pastor, for those of you who claim. So, so now I went to theology training, okay, Christ for the Nations, and then furthered my education from the Minnesota Graduate School of Theology, where uh, I received my master's and doctorate in theology. But this is where I started on the streets. So I just want to get a little picture. I built a 10-foot cross. That's pretty radical. <laughs> and then I carved in uh, Jesus loves you, God will save you, and and so these are some outreaches uh, that I was part of, and uh, I had hair back then, wow. Uh, but these are either on the streets of Mardi Gras, or we were down in t Dallas downtown. Uh, then there was some marches that we were part of. But, so then there's this picture of, that's Rhonda there. But you think, well, why is he just kind of shoulder against her? Wasn't he really hugging her or whatever? Well, it was the first outreach that I communicated that I liked her. So, so... I didn't know where it was at with her. Come on, somebody, amen. And so, so I had that shoulder thing going. Yeah, it's kind of like, but, but it was like, you're touching me, I'm touching you with the shoulder. And, and she's smiling, you know, so beautiful. And, uh, but uh, I was very zealous for the Lord. Uh, I'll get into a little bit here about, grew up in a large Italian family out east and Irish. That's kind of a toxic, you know, mix. But, um, I, uh, uh, I was very zealous for the Lord and very hard on myself. Very hard on myself, falling short. And so some would call that maybe legalistic, you know. But I was very hard on myself 
falling short from what I felt the standard God wanted. And, and some would say, well, you know, when I was out there at the cross, I really did want to see people come to the Lord. I really wanted to, but it was so demonstrative. You know, there was businesses in New England that I would walk on near the beach in Weymouth, Mass. with a cross. They'd be making pizza cutting and going, they're cursing like, what the blank just came by? And they'd run out and see a guy carrying a cross and I'd share the gospel. It just blew people's minds. But it was just in a culture today, almost you have to rattle the cage with some people to know, hey, God is real and he loves you. And, and so that was my heart. Very passionate, but very harsh and hard with myself at times. And then other people. <laughs> you know, how I many you know the Bible talks about extending grace? Well, you know, grace wasn't a real big thing. And, and you know, uh, loving and kind of, you know, real compassionate. I was just kind of out in the forefront there. And actually, there was a part, maybe you could see, I still have my Marine Corps boots on, what I would blouse my jeans so those of you in the military know what I'm talking about, but I would have the military and blouse up my jeans. This was pretty combative, okay? It was just, just radical, you know, just like, who is this guy? And there's a, a prophecy that is in Zechariah in the Old Testament, and I remember reading that, and the Bible talks about how the angel sees four horns that came from the north, south, east, and the west. And those horns attacked God's church. And so what did God do? And and the prophecy, as he's talking about in there, it said that, that God releases four carpenters, it says. And I just thought about that. Uh, carpenters, how many know, like our builders? They're, they're, they, 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 you know, how many know that carpenters have hammers and they need to hammer things? And the Bible says in Acts, it says the foundation of the church, watch this, it started on the apostles and prophets. And so usually there's a grace and a gifting that someone, if they're going to start a church from nothing, hello, Harvest in a living room with three ladies to come to this after 23 years, you gotta, you gotta be like a carpenter. You gotta about hammer and break some things, and in the midst of that, you offend and hurt people. I never wanted to. That was never in my heart to hurt people. But sometimes through the process, you know, that, that happens. But, but really, the, the prophetic and the apostolic and the prophetic, the, these, were, these carpenters were God's instruments to break the hard and strong horns that came to overthrow the church. How many know that the enemy wants to overthrow the church? He doesn't want new churches to be started and built. He doesn't want overcoming churches to happen. Can I get an amen? He wants churches to close their doors. He, he's thrilled when that happens. He's thrilled when, when you take prayer out of the public school. He, he's thrilled when you take the Bible out of the public school. He's thrilled when you remove the Ten Commandments before the eyes of the people. He's thrilled of those things. And so God says, yeah, well, I got carpenters I'm going to release. And, you, and, you, and they may be a little bit gruff or whatever, but they break things. And, and so, but the problem is, is, is that if you feel that, you know, that you know, you, you, you're part of a foundation and starting things from nothing, uh, like, a, like a hammer, how many know that you see nails everywhere and that's not good? <laughs> and so, so then there's a lot of breaking in your life or my life that has to happen. So through the decades, you know, I'm continually learning God's love and grace while also leading, extending his compassion and kindness to others. How many know everyone matters? You know, we used to have a sign that says, Jesus left the 99 for the one. One matters. And I really embraced that and said, you know what? I don't care the affluent, the poor, you know, those who have, that have not. doesn't matter to me. I'm going to treat them all the same. 
I will treat them all the same. Amen. That's just, and if you've been around here long enough, you'll know that. I'm not moved by, you know, wealth. I'm not moved by, you know, tremendous poverty. I'm going to move, be moved by what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. And, and, and that's just, just a little bit about me so you know, like, who, who is this guy, you know? And he talks a lot about these, these things on the street and whatever, but it was part of the shaping of my life. And so uh, learning, learning through long-suffering and patience. And I think about that. Why? Well, because God commands that we do that, that, that we walk in love. Can I get an amen? And how many know that I need his grace more probably than you all in this role? I mean, I, I know you need God's grace, but I need his grace. And, uh, but there's something I just want to throw this out too in uh, uh, Romans 12, 21, a very interesting verse. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's actually a word for the United States today. Because we are trying to overcome evil with evil. And overcoming evil with evil does not work. Amen. Actually, it means do not be overcome. It means don't be subdued. Don't be vanquished uh, to defeat it thoroughly. That's actually to, to, to overcome and conquered by evil from others. From others. But overcome evil with good. Now, let me just temper this, and for, I'm going to digress here in a, a little bunny trail. Verse 19 says before verse 21, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay back, says the Lord. And I've learned the truth and the beauty of this verse. Even when I feel like I want a revenge, is anybody out there? And I want to strike back and retaliate, and it's hard not to when you're attacked. Uh, one Bible commentator says about this, he says, the infliction of vengeance is not a sign of strength, but of weakness. And all strife and contention, those that revenge are conquered, and those that forgive are conquerors. Now let me just interject about self-defense here, so many of you think I'm not a pacifist, that that. Uh, Self-defense means protecting oneself from injury at the hand of others. I believe, actually, that's scriptural. Self-defense is not about taking vengeance, though. And that's the point, I believe, of this verse. I believe biblical self-defense involves preserving one's own health, life, and family, which I believe is scriptural. And when it is threatened by the hands of others. Uh, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 33, we see, as watchmen, we are to sound the alarm when we see danger of the sword coming. That's, all, that's an Old Testament verse. Psalms 82.4 says, rescue the weak. Are you still with me now? Rescue the weak and needy and deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Okay? So uh, Proverbs 24.11 says, we have a duty to preserve the lives of those who are harming themselves. All right? And then in the New Testament, Jesus said about a sword. He said, but now if you have a purse, take it also in a bag. And if you don't have a sword, go sell your cloak and buy one. Now let me just temper this. The whole point of me going off on that little bunny trail is to say this, that, that revenge is not scriptural. We leave that to the authorities. We leave that to them to, to take revenge in that situation. Can I get an amen? But that is not easy to do. That is not, you know, we hear about this tragedy and and uh, um, Moscow, Utah, in the in the college students, and they still haven't figured that out. And some now the parents have come out. The the in, I just can't even fathom. I can't fathom the grief, and then not knowing and the and wanting to take uh, the, take revenge in that situation. 
It's just beyond me. One of my texts here today, John 3, 16. We all probably know this by heart, most of you. For God loved. Somebody shout loved. In the Greek, that's the word agape. And we're going to talk about that briefly here. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave. Somebody shout he gave. I'm going to talk about that. His only son. That whoever or everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. Thank God for that promise. Uh, I love how the Amplified says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his one and only son that whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. Thank God for eternal life life. You know, when you're going through a difficult time and you start thinking, is this going to last forever? No, it's not going to last forever because our flesh is not going to last forever, but our spirit man and women will. And it won't be in, in, in many cases this hellhole that we live. Greek word for gave is didomi in um, uh, the Greek. It's actually a verb. It means I offer. So God so loved the people of this world so much that he gave. He offered. It means I put in place to give one to someone, to care for his interest is what it means. It means I give myself up, as it were, in overemphasis for disregarding entirely my private interests. I give as much as ever I can. That's what it means when God said he gave his son. The best, the best there's, there's nothing higher that God could have gave but his son. To you and to me. Christmas time is a year when we celebrate the birth of Christ. For the believers. And some of us are fortunate enough that we spend that time with family and friends. Amen. We had the opportunity we, uh, to have all of our kids here Thanksgiving. Those of you here who saw the kids. And, and, but, but now they're gone, but Mariah's still here. Uh, so, uh, but, but, but if you'll have that opportunity this Christmas, how many know that's a, a, a great time? Kids and grandkids and holding uh, the babies and all of that loving on you. But how many know that Christmas time is also a year that is emotionally, fr emotionally fragile for many people? Many people are facing financial strain. Many people today are facing loneliness. They are cut off and separated. Disappointing circumstances, and many are trying to cope, trying to find a little bit of peace during this season, uh, and things seem like they've just imploded around them. Now, <clears throat> let me just digress a little bit here. Um, I grew up in a, a large Italian family and Irish, and uh, we were born, I was born in the south of Boston, South Boston, Mass, and my father had enough sense to get us out of there when the gangs came in, and they were putting rocks inside uh, snowballs, and we were having fights with the neighbor kids. He's like, we got to get out of here. And so he moved to a community about an hour and a half south to uh, Brockton, this town. It was blue-collar. Uh, a lot of blue-collar businessmen and women in that community. And after our tail end, 1964, the baby boomers, uh, we see just millions of kids being born uh, in, in from, I think it was like 48 to 64, these baby boomers. And so I'm the tail end of that. And I can remember communities, we had our house, and then they just built, I remember them called Southfield Gardens, or Southfield Drive. It was like 1,200 to 1,400 homes. They just were small, and they just built them. And they filled them all up. All these families moved in. And so that became our neighborhood there going up in Brockton, Mass. And we were kind of like, how many of you have seen the Little Rascals? 
Yeah, we were like the little rascals. So every day we'd get up kind of like, what are we going to do today? We'd go build a raft, you know, and go through a pond. And we would catch crawdads. And we, that, that's, we didn't play video games. Come on, somebody. We, weren't, we didn't have screen time, you know. Today they're called screenagers instead of teenagers, right? Uh, we didn't have any of that. What did you do? Dad would say, get outside. And we would go from sunrise, come on now, to sunset. Mom would scream, it's dinner time. You know, I was like, oh, it's mom, you know, time to come home. And sometimes you have leeches on you, and you just kind of come back, and you get stunk like a rag doll. But we had a blast. We were playing, and we went to bed thinking about that fort, you know. We built that fort, you know, and how did they need some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a great time. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about taxes. Come on, somebody. I didn't have to worry about a car payment. Nothing. Every day you wake up, what can we do? <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. And, um, but Christmas time was a kind of a love-hate time in our family. We loved it. My dad hated it. Just hated Christmas. Because he's got all these kids. He got to feed all these. And he's, he comes from an Italian background. And his father, you know, just kind of passed on that same thing. And, and so then we would come around and we said, Dad, Dad, what are we going to get for Christmas this year? Christmas? What are you talking about? It's like, Dad, you know, Christmas is coming. We try to preface it at least a month or so out. So, you know, Christmas is like, listen, you got a roof over your head. You got clothes on your body. You got shoes on your feet. Christmas is every day for you. I'm like, every day is Christmas, you know? <laughs> you know, it just, and so then dad, God bless him, not all the time, he would buy and wait, whether it was a week out or it was a few days out, the, the cheapest Christmas tree. So he would just, you know, just kind of quickly go, grab something, so half of it would be yellow. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever, and it would be like, but so we'd have to turn, come on now, we'd have to turn that tree and cover it so we couldn't see the backside or whatever. And the, the, it always was the crooked one that was on, the, basically the one that would throw out. But we were happy, man, we had a tree. And I remember Garland. I love Garland. And when we were first married, I shared this story before, uh, so just bringing back nostalgia of my family. Like, she's like, well, you can decorate Christmas this year. It was uh, one of our first years of being married. I went, oh, wonderful. So I got the thick light bulbs. Come on now, the big, you know, all-colored, rainbow-colored bulbs. But I found them in a Target dumpster. So back then, now all the dumpsters are sealed, right? But back then, I worked dry cleaning. and went out and went, I noticed a dumpster. So yes, pastor was a dumpster diver. And I would look at it and went, so, you know, people return stuff if one bull blows. Return it. Oh, you're out there. I know who you are. Just return it. I don't want to unscrew that bulb and come on with the extra bulb they gave you. No, I'm just going to return the whole thing. I found all this garland. And so I brought all this stuff home. She's like, what's going on? And so I had garland on the ceiling fans. I, I was just like, and so Rhonda's, all her family comes, and her first words were, welcome to our house, Mike decorated. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad, he would, he would wait to Christmas Eve to start shopping for us kids. Literally, he would just wait. he just put it off, put it off. My mom would just be like, the kids, the kids, the kids. And we were always kind of wondering. And, <clears throat> and so he waited. And how remember Kmart? Come on, Kmart was the place. And Kmart would have a blue light special. So they have a little thing that would flash or whatever. And that stuff at that moment was on sale. So he would go and do, is this all right sharing all this? So <laughs> he would, uh, you know, just reminiscing here about Christmas. And, 
And so he would start grabbing stuff off the shelf, whatever that blue light special, and, and you know, it was like a dollar and under, and it was not much thought that went through it. It was just, you know, I got eight kids, and you get eight, two, 12, 16, just start throwing stuff in. I remember one year, we got Play-Doh, but it was not like this nice little round Play-Doh you have. It looked like C4, a plastic explosive, and it was in blocks. And my brother and I was like, that's C4. I know I, I, that if we stick a firecracker in it, that is going to do some damage to the rats, you know? And I was like, guarantee. And then, then one year, there was a pogo stick when I looked up, you know, because you're supposed to stay downstairs and not look. They never really wrapped anything. They put them in trash bags. And then it's like, what bag is where? And if it couldn't fit in the trash bag, it was out. And so I'm just thinking, here I am, 14, 15 years old. Oh, they're like, that's your pogo stick, Mike. I can't be. It can't be. Maybe it's yours, Paul. But then there was a nice red toolbox there. I was like, oh, God, whose is it? And finally, when we get up there, it was my brother Paul's. So he's out there, hang, hang, hang. And I had the toolbox. Ah. Hallelujah. That's at 14, 15 years old. Now, my wife's side's totally different. They celebrate every, every event. And so when we were first married, I kind of had to get a learning curve here. Uh, you know, uh, Valentine's Day, nobody got that in Valentine's Day in my house. Unless we came home with sticker hearts and those candy from school, nobody got nothing at Valentine's Day. And so I come back, Valentine's Day, and I'm like, Valentine's Day? I'm like, oh, okay. So, so you know, it, it was just different. And their Christmas, totally different than ours. Their Christmas is that everyone kind of gathered together, sometimes be 12, 14, 15 people, 18 people in the room. And what happens? You don't open your gift. No, you wait for every person to open their gift. I'm like, I'm starting to grow a beard by the time this is, you know, oh, why? Because everyone is special. They're so special. And we want to celebrate their uniqueness with their gift. Are you still with me this morning? So no matter, then, then after all the gifts, we'd read a Christmas story book. And it, this big, you know, and it's like, wow. And I always had certain parts I have to read. They would make sure I read that. And, and I do that with a good heart, and I love it. But how, how many still with me say amen? Because like, where is the spirituality in all this? Wherever we fall on the spectrum, it's important to see that the significance of the birth of Christ and how love has come into the world because of Christ. And, and it's, it embodies the birth of Christ, one of the greatest acts of love God could ever give us, that gift of love. So you see, for Jesus to come would also mean that his eventual journey to the cross and temporary separation from his Father would happen. There's a verse in Isaiah 9-6, very familiar verse here during the Christmas holiday Many times you'll see it says, for unto us a child is born. This is prophetic, talking about Christ, the birth. A son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a powerful verse. But while this scripture starts off with a benefit to us, for unto us a child is born, watch this, it quickly reminds us of the price paid when it reads, unto us a son is given. 
unto us, come on, a son is offered up. And so we receive the gift, the blessing, but there was a cost to God Almighty, his son. And so Jesus' birth was more than just a momentary miracle. It extended to humanity the gift of salvation that would come through Jesus' eventual sacrifice on the cross. And we see this scripture in John 3, 16, how God so loved, God giving us his only son in life, uh, to live a life, excuse me, much different than originally intended. It was one of the deepest, watch this, the deepest expressions of love we can find in the Bible. God giving us his sons. So intentionally in every way, the birth of Christ was designed to give us the ability to bear all things, to hope all things, and to endure all things, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 7. So very quickly here, um, what is love? What is love? Some of you are thinking, I know what it is. It's the song by Hathaway. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No, that's not what love is. Many think it's a feeling. Others think it's something as a fairy tale or to see it as some fickle thing that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And uh, our English translation, uh, translation translates the word love as a feeling, an action of state or being, uh, uh, or being uh, of strong affection. It's like we could say, well, I love my husband, I, I love my wife, and oh, but I love the, the new color on that SUV that you bought, or, uh, uh, or I, I love you, oh, I love your hairstyle, that's so nice on you, or I love that post you posted, or oh, by the way, I also love my kids. Now, the Greeks were more specific when it came to the word love, and they had four words. Eros means romantic love, phileia means brotherly love or friends, and friendship, Storge is a parental love that parents have for kids and, and grandkids or, or should have. And then there's agape love. Agape love. So I'm going to give you a, a brief definition, and we'll just talk a little bit about agape, and we're going to pray here. But, you know, so what is agape love? The Bible says, God so loved. Somebody shall loved. That's that word. That's what it means. So when we, when we talk about the love of God, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about friendship. We're not talking about family love. We're not talking about a romantic or sexual love. We're talking about the highest kind of love there is out there. And America needs the agape love of God. It is so divided. It is so, there's so much hatred and anger. And that is a spirit. And we conquer hate with the love of God. That doesn't mean we have to bow down to the, you know, tactics of the enemy and let them come in and clean house. No, we can still stand strong, but we got to operate in the love of God. Agape love is not a feeling. It's a motivation for action. They were free to choose or reject. It goes on, uh, uh, excuse me, agape is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. Wow, that's heavy. That, that's, that is super heavy. That is un, seems unbelievable. Now, here's the thing for, for believers. We, you and me, we are also called to walk in agape love through Jesus' example. Here's a verse. Scripture says, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators. Somebody shout imitators. Imitators. Hmm. Imitator. It refers to behavior. That's what an imitator is. It's our behavior and how we act. We walk in love when we act like God. And you can do that. We can do that. God's given us the ability. Be imitators, God, as beloved children, and walk in love. 
Here it is right there. Got me feeling like, well, I'm failed royally on that one, colossal failure on that one. But walk in love, watch this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So the essence of agape love is goodwill, it's benevolence, it's willful delight in the object of love. Agape was used about the Jewish festivals and feasts and their suppers before they received communion. And so that was like a picture of agape love uh, where the poor and the rich gathered together and the wealthy all chipped in for food and, and every single body was welcome. And I think about that. You know what that today is? It's the local church. When, when you know, we had almost 40 men here yesterday and the men's lead team did an amazing job and all these guys were connecting and we were laughing and passing gifts out and we had awesome chili. All the chili was awesome. Some a little bit hot, the others, but it was still delicious and we had fun and we laughed. And I was just so, as a pastor, I was just so moved. I was so moved by the, the, the wisdom that was there, the men that were there, the love that was there. Come on, somebody. I mean, I, I really, for years and years, was believing God for it. Because the women get together here in church, and the women do things. And you could just say, we're going to do this, you know, when 30 women show up. And that's great, and I love that. But the men, for the men to get together. So it was just a, a powerful time. And Larry Socia did an amazing job just sharing. It wasn't even a job. He shared from his heart, and the presence of God was there on the gospel. And I was just, I, I came home, just shook my head. It's like, what a, I'm just humbled by it. It was a, a blessed time. So thank God for all the men. And so, so when we talk about that, that agape love, that's what that is. That's what it is. How many know that when you go to a certain place, a lot of times you have to have your guard up? You don't know what it's going to be like. You don't know if you're in a business meeting or whatever. Or you're meeting some people here. You don't know if somebody's going to start cursing a blue streak or whatever. But when you come to church, right, you come to church, you know, what is it? It's what? It's love. But hi, how are you? It's not, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to, because this has been overused by putting on your best behavior. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is, is that it's, that's the love feast is when we come and we see someone, someone new, we reach out to them. It's like, hey, how are you doing? That's the love of God. And that is magnetic. And people, especially Gen Z, is needing that today. They need that today. They're looking for that authentic love. Is there something that is real? There is. It really is, and it's within God's people. So unlike our English word for love, agape is not used in the New Testament, once again, to refer to romantic or sexual love, nor does it refer to close friendship or brotherly love, for which the Greek word philea is used. Um, but agape love, <clears throat> agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, an act of the will. I thought that's interesting, an act of the will. At its root meaning, it means to prefer what God prefers. Hmm. To prefer what God prefers. It is distinguished from the type of love uh, by its lofty moral nature and strong character. And once again, we see in 1 Corinthians 13, maybe we'll touch on that in the next few weeks, agape love is beautifully described in that chapter, the chapter on love. So here's the thing. This type of love that characterizes God is not some sappy, sentimental feeling such as we often hear portrayed. God loves because that is his nature and the expression of who he is. That's how he and why he loves. God loves the unlovable and the unlovely. 
He does. Not because we deserve to be loved or because of any excellence we possess, but because it is his nature to love. And he must be true to his nature. Can you say amen? Another thing about agape love, it is always shown by what it does. Somebody shout does. So in other words, it proves itself through its actions. And so, you know, you all have heard the Satan talk is cheap. And a lot of times, especially for men, you know, talk can be cheap because sometimes we think we can talk our way out of situations and um, amen, but we know we have to have action with that. There's got to be an, thank you for the one amen. There's got to be action with that love. That's not a works thing, but what it is is, is that this is what agape love is. shows by what you do, <clears throat> not so much by what you say. Now, for some of you, if your love language is words of encouragement, saying that to you, it fills you up. But for others that are not, it don't fill you up. What do you do? How will you behave? That communicates Love. Can I get an amen or on me? <laughs> Ephesians 2. I'm almost done. I'm almost done here. Ephesians 2. Uh, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we see that we didn't deserve this love. Romans 5.8 says that, but God demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, <clears throat> he died for us. Think about that. When we hated, had nothing to do with him, didn't care about him, he still died on behalf. That doesn't mean everyone is a Christian. We know that. We teach and preach. You need to be converted here. But why were we yet sinners? Christ died for us. So God's agape love is unmerited, gracious, constantly seeking the benefit of the one he loves. And the Bible says that we are the undeserving recipients of his lavish agape love, according to 1 John 3.1. Here's the struggle. In conclusion, we are to love others with this kind of love. Did you hear that? I am to love, let me just personally, I am to love others with that kind of heaven, which I have been given, and so have you. It doesn't mean something's being asked of you and I that you don't have. For, again, any believers in here? You have the agape of God poured lavishly. It actually means like a flood or a river into your heart. That love, you, you've got it. Are we going to operate in it? Stand with me if you would, please. Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, kind of an illustration in Luke 10, as an example of sacrificial love. Remember the story? We won't get into it, but the priest shows up. He walks by the guy. The Levite shows up. He walks by the guy. But the Samaritans, who were hated by the Jews, stops. Watch this. He stops, and he, he goes above and beyond the minimum required. He bandages his wound. The enemy, his enemy. Wow, that's heavy. He took, takes care of him. He pays a fee to put him up in a hotel. And he says, if anything else, this guy's encouraged. Let me know when I come through. I'll take care of the bill. Romans 5.5, 5. I'll conclude with this verse and we'll pray. This is the love that has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us when we became his children. You have the agape love of God. I have received the agape love of God, that highest kind of love in our spirit man or spirit woman, and we can operate in it if we choose to. Heavy head bowed, please.
This is the love that has been poured out abundantly, greatly manifested into our hearts. You know, agape love doesn't come naturally to us because of our fallen nature. And the sad thing on our own, we are incapable of producing that kind of love. So to think and expect that, and there are couples who don't know the Lord and they phileo, they love each other, those other capacities, but they're really not loving the agape love. They don't know because that only comes from the source and the source is God Almighty. God is the source of agape love. And so this morning as we conclude, this love has been given to you and I. This agape love. So no matter what spat or difficulty in your relationship with your spouse or your family member or at work or co-worker or the turmoil maybe in your own life, I just know this. The key to experiencing that love is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. And as we conclude right now, I'm going to pray a prayer of forgiveness over each and every one of us. It's just a very simple prayer. But I don't know how to overcome things that come in my life without forgiving. I don't know how to do it. Because otherwise you just continue to carry it. And forgiveness can be very hard at times. But with God's word as our guide, we can learn to forgive. Even in the deepest places of pain. And we can fully release that hurt and move forward with a newfound compassion for the offender. That is not an easy statement because really forgiveness in the, in the level of depth of that is, is how deep did they hurt you? It's one thing if someone cuts you off on the road, you know, and they say something, say, well, I forgive you. <clears throat> but do something that's so destructive and implosive in your life or your family, friends, that is a deep wound. But it's also, you have the ability. And I don't believe these are things that just in one time, in a moment, in one prayer. I think it's, it's, it's a process that we continue to choose agape love. We choose to release. We, as an act of our will, we say, I forgive you. And I release you. And I hold no odd against you. And I pray, God, in the midst of the pain, I release this situation and I ask that you forgive me, O oh Lord. Forgive me, O oh Lord. Because I am the one standing in need. And what happens is, you know what? Scripture says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God knows how to keep good records. He can deal with those hurts that were done. But he also loves that person too. And he cares about that person. Whatever he had bowed here this morning, he said, Pastor, I'm going to pray for you here in a moment of this short prayer of forgiveness. But I want to, I think it's so vital every Sunday we share the gospel. I know most of you here today, perhaps, but there's someone you don't know the Lord. You're not born again. You're not saved, as the Bible says. You don't really understand this agape love. You can today. You can receive the Spirit of God into your spirit, man or woman. You can have eternal life and receive eternal life. And you can receive cleansing. You can receive forgiveness of your sins. And that gives you the power to forgive others, to walk in love. 
you're here today as a pastor, I want that. Let's pray together corporately. Say to me, say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.